We're going to be talking about the church today. We're going to be talking about what the church means to Christ. I'm thinking of a dear lady near the front here who uh, I guess was kind of hit and miss on church and being faithful. And she was listening to the series I, I preached years ago on the book of the Revelation. And of course, you cover the seven churches of Asia Minor at the beginning of that. And God really dealt with her heart at that time. And that's when she really stepped it up and became faithful. And I think it's a great day in the life of a Christian when they really wrap their heart and mind around what the church means to Christ. God help us to recognize what the church means to Christ. And may it in turn mean a lot to us. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. take our Bibles, please, and turn to the epistle of Ephesians, the letter to the church at Ephesus. We're going to be talking about the church today. We're going to be talking about what the church means to Christ. I think that the church, and I'm talking about the local church, it's the only kind there is, is an object of cherished love to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think it's a great day in the life of a Christian when they really wrap their heart and mind around what the church means to Christ. I'm thinking of a dear lady near the front here who uh, I guess was kind of hit and miss on church and being faithful. And she was listening to the series I, I preached years ago on the book of the Revelation. And of course, you cover the seven churches of Asia Minor at the beginning of that. And God really dealt with her heart at that time. And that's when she really stepped it up and became faithful. And maybe you've kind of wavered a little bit in and what the church means to you. And so may the next few moments kind of help you to rekindle maybe what has gotten a little bit pale or, or cold. Here in Ephesians chapter 5, and in verse number 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. We'll take a look at these three verses as we talk about what the church means to Christ. Let's pray first, shall we? Father, we do thank you now for the privilege that we have at this time in history to be part of a Scripture New Testament church. Father, how we thank you for the promise that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church uttered by your own Son and that promise that has been kept and Father, it is a miracle that the churches, uh, Bible-believing, scriptural New Testament churches have survived, though persecuted gravely down through the ages. And Father, we just uh, don't count it a light thing, but a privilege and responsibility to be part of one uh, for such a time as this. May you enhance now our appreciation for the church, and may we fall a little bit more in love with what Jesus loved and gave himself for. We ask it all now in his precious name. Amen. Many years ago in Europe, there was a man who was imprisoned unjustly by the state, so-called crime against the state. He was condemned to death. He had a wife and five children. He also had a twin brother. And about less than an hour even before the condemned man was to be guillotined, his brother came to see him, and the keeper let him in. And 
His brother came in and, and talked to his twin brother, identical twin brother, for a little bit. And, and then he gave him a drink of water from his canteen, which was somewhat drugged and knocked out the condemned man. Well, the twin brother switched clothes with him and then knocked at the gate, banged at the gate for the jailkeeper to come and, and said, my brother has, uh, has, has basically passed out from, uh, from fainting and, and please take him out of here. And now really the single brother was in the clothes, the prison clothes of the condemned man and he went to the guillotine instead of his brother. You know, we would call that sacrificial love, wouldn't we? That's just exactly what Jesus Christ did for his church. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, that great preacher of yesteryear, said this. He said, The Lord Jesus cherishes for the church a peculiar affection, which is set upon her above the rest of mankind. Quote, I pray for them, Jesus said. I pray not for the world, unquote. The elect church is the favorite of heaven, the treasure of Christ, the crown of his head, the bracelet of his arm, the breastplate of his heart, the very center and core of his love. Isn't that powerful? That is good. You know, the, the Bible talks about this relationship that Christ has with his church as being somewhat like a bride and a groom. In fact, John the Baptist said, I'm, I'm not the Messiah. He said, I'm like a friend of the groom. And I'm just standing by kind of like a best man, rejoicing for him and happy for him. And there's all kinds of allegories and parallels throughout the Bible of this kind of relationship that Christ has with his church being like um, a, a bride and a, and, and a groom. Or here in our text, a husband and a wife. So let's take a look at it here. We see, first of all, the cherished church. In verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. You know, that's got to be the strongest love ever displayed is what we would call sacrificial love. Actually giving yourself for something and dying for something or someone as it were. That would have to be the, the strongest love, I think, of, of any that we could imagine. And that's the definition here of love that Christ had for the church. It's an agape love. Now, first of all, let's define the church because that's really a loose canon in, in, in ecclesiastical circles today. But the church is not all believers. It's not made up of, of all uh, the saved even, and certainly not everyone who calls himself a Christian, but the church is made up of those who have been genuinely saved and scripturally baptized and are banded together for the fulfillment of the Great Commission and the carrying out of the truths of God's Word. And it's, a, it's an assembly of people. I'm looking at Fargo Baptist Church right now. It's not the building. It's not some universal invisible thing. But it is the people, the assembly of people who make up that local church. Now the Bible tells us that Christ loved the church and he gave himself for it. That word love there is, is really a powerful word for love. You know, we can talk about love and it can be pretty flippant, especially in the day and age in which we live. And even in the Greek language, there are specific words that mean something similar for love. For example, there's eros, which speaks of an erotic love, some, something the world pretty much calls love today. Then there's phileo love. We get our word Philadelphia from it. It's more of a brotherly love, like Philadelphia is the, the city of brotherly love. That's fine. That's friendship. But agape love is a sacrificial love. It's a giving love. It's a dying love, basically. And we find out that Jesus Christ went to the cross. He had the nails pierced through him. He suffered. He bled and he died an agonizing death, suspended between heaven and earth because he loved 
the church. We're told that right here in our text. In fact, he did that for Fargo Baptist Church, if you want to just narrow it down to where we live today. You know, we find out that it's precious to him. He loved it. He gave himself for it. There's a lot of parallels in the Bible of things that are precious, and I think even hint somewhat about the relationship that Christ has with the church. We find in Matthew 13, Christ speaks of this man who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. He gave up everything for that pearl of great price. I think that's a picture of what the church is to Christ, who gave everything because he loved the church. And notice the word in verse number 25, he gave himself for it. Gave himself for it. You know, we find also other places in the Bible where the church seems to be hinted at at least. In Psalm 22, we find an obvious messianic psalm. I mean, written a thousand years before Jesus Christ even walked the earth. But it's, it's specifically talking about him on the cross. What was going through his mind even when he was on the cross? What was happening? It mentions that he's thinking he's a worm and no man in Psalm 22. It's, it's uh, making reference to those who are around the cross and mocking him on the cross, all written prophetically, and, and saying he trusted in God. Let him come and help him now. It's talking about how all his bones were out of joint. It's talking about uh, how his heart melted in the midst of himself, how they could tell all of his bones. This is all written in Psalm 22 prophetically. How they've pierced my hands and my feet and they cast lots for my garments. It's all in there. But there's a verse that is often overlooked as well in Psalm 22. It's verse 20 where Christ is praying and he says to God, deliver my soul from the sword, my darling from the power of the dog. Have you ever read that before and wondered what it's talking about? It's a powerful verse. What is it talking about? What's the dog? What's the darling? Well, in context, it's talking about something very precious to him. Could it be that church that we're told here in our text that he loved and he gave himself for? Could it be this bride that's referred to as uh, the church in the New Testament here? His darling. If something is darling to you, that's precious, isn't it? And he says, would you please deliver it from the dog? What is the dog? The dog is a picture of some evil. And in the Bible, actually, it's God spelt backwards. It, it could be a reference to the devil or those who the devil uses to destroy churches. And Christ prays on the cross for something precious to him. And he says, deliver my darling from the dog. That's powerful when you think about it. Back at the last part of verse 25 in our text here, it tells that Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Many years ago, there was a a woman, a mother. She was walking with her little baby. It was a nice day. Of course, they didn't have forecasts like they do today, but she was living in the region of the Alps and walking from village to village with uh, her, her baby daughter, and this snowstorm came upon her out of nowhere all of a sudden, and this cold front came through, and, and she covered up the baby the best she could, but, but uh, the, she was still cold, and the baby was still cold, and so she took more of her own wrappings and wrapped around the baby and continued to walk as she was halfway between the two villages, and, and uh, the the baby was still cold and so pretty much the woman took off all her outer garments and wrapped them around her baby and when they found the baby she was nestled in the bosom of the mother who was stiff and dead and cold in the snow but the baby was still alive that mother gave herself for that baby when you die for something that something or that someone has to be pretty special 
You know, there's a picture in the Bible giving of, of, of the, the preciousness of children and, and the investment that parents make in them and how when a child is hurting, you're hurting. I'm thinking on the prayer list for the last several weeks. We've seen a couple over uh, in the church here that are praying for a nephew that had been in an accident, and, and uh, that hurts. I'm thinking of a family in the church right now. The, the grandparents attend here, and uh, their kids gave birth to this, this set of twins prematurely, and, and one died, and, and, and the heartache that is within that home right now is just talking to the mother or the grandmother the other day. You know, the Bible gives a comparison. In Psalm 103:13, it says, Like as a father pitieth his children. There's something about that love, that tie, that bond between parents and children, between husband and wife. How about your spouse? Would you die for your spouse? I would die for my spouse. I know my wife would die for me. There is a love there between us. Well, we find in verse 25 that comparison, husbands love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. No, Jesus Christ didn't just give mere lip service to the church. He gave himself for it. That's a real love. We read in Ephesians 5, 2, that we are to walk in love as Christ also loved us and hath given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. We find here that Christ loved us, the church, and he gave himself for it. And we, in turn, are just told simply to love each other. In fact, in John 13, 34, Christ said, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you love one another. It's pretty simple. We're to love one another. So it speaks here of this, this charity, this cherished church. But secondly, we see in our text here this consecrated church. Notice in verse number 26, it says that he, Christ, might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. By the washing of water by the word. Now, what's this a reference to? Well, in context here, it's talking about a husband-wife relationship. It's talking about a, a marriage between a man and a woman, making the comparison between Christ and his bride, the church. And this washing of water, this cleansing here, is speaking, I think, of a ceremonial cleansing that took place back in the Old Testament uh, with a woman before she got married to her bridegroom. In fact, it took 12 months. We read in Esther 2, verse 12, And so were the days of their purifications accomplished, to wit, or namely, six months with oil of myrrh, and six months with sweet odors, and with other things for the purifying of the women. So it's speaking here about a biblical purification. The pulpit commentary says this, As such a virgin was purified and prepared for her husband by washing and by anointing, so the church is to be prepared for Christ. It is to be made pure and holy. How true. Pure and holy. And that's what verse 26 is saying here. That he, Christ, might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. In, in Ezekiel 36, 25, God says, Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean from all your filthiness. Ceremonial cleansing. That's what it's talking about here. Now, verse 26 tells us in our day how? With the washing of water by the Word. It's talking about a doctrinally straight church here. In fact, in John 15, 3, Christ says, Now you are clean through the Word which I have spoken 
unto you. Notice the cleansing agent. Nothing about baptism. Here's not talking about baptism. Baptism doesn't wash away sin. But it's the Word of God that is the catalyst that God uses to bring that person to a realization of their lost condition so they can be saved. And now you're clean through the Word, Christ says, which I have spoken unto you. In John 17, 17, he prays to the Father about his disciples saying, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Aren't you glad you're in a Bible-believing church? I didn't grow up in one. Most of you didn't grow up in one. I think we understand that. It's special. It's precious. And it's something the devil hates. Let's never forget that. The devil hates this church. He's set to destroy it. There is a bullseye on us. If you're a part of it, There's a bullseye on you, and there will be supernatural attacks. We find the Apostle Paul at the end of his third missionary journey, on his way back to Jerusalem, stopping off in the region of Ephesus, a town called Miletus, and he called together the elders, the pastors of the the churches in that region, and they came to meet him at Miletus there, and we find these words said by Paul to these pastors in Acts 20, 28. He said, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, notice, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. He calls these men together and he says, take heed unto yourselves first of all. Then he says, and unto all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. They were to oversee those local churches. And he said to, to feed the church of God, which he, God, hath purchased with his own blood. Can we connect the dots there? Jesus is God. He's the one who shed his blood. And then he goes on with this warning, for I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Those are those from the outside. But he adds also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. That's from within. The devil hates scriptural New Testament churches. And so we are to be a consecrated church. But finally... We see the celestial church. The celestial church is mentioned in verse 27. That he, Christ, might present it to himself, notice, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. You know, I think the day is going to come when we as Fargo Baptist Church are going to stand together before the Lord Jesus Christ and answer for our stewardship of this church. How did we treat it? How did we act within it? How did we serve here? We find here there's this mention of this glorious church, and it's not now, obviously, but it's going to be a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. No spot. No spot. Have you ever read the Song of Solomon and and kind of wondered, what's going on here? Well, there's a, a primary meaning, but there's also a secondary meaning of the Song of Solomon. It's really a picture of Christ and his church. Solomon being a picture of Christ, the Shunammite woman being a picture of his bride or his wife, if you will. And in the Song of Solomon, chapter 4 and verse 7, it says, Thou art all fair, my love. There is no spot in thee. There is no spot in thee. Here's Christ 
pictured by Solomon, talking to his bride, pictured by the Shunammite woman. And he says, Thou art fair, my love, there is no spot in thee. Notice our passage here in verse 27 says, Having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. You know, there's a day coming, and I think it's going to take place during the tribulation period back here on the earth. There's a lot of speculation about it. But there's a seven-year tribulation period, I think, that follows the rapture. And what's going on at that time? Well, I think there's something called the judgment seat of Christ going on in heaven. It's a time of, of rewards for the saved, where we'll be. But I think also it's a time of this celebration, this marriage supper of the Lamb, as it's called in the Bible here. And there are a lot of parallels, there are a lot of allegories. There's the, the, uh, the groom who came at midnight, and there were the five wise virgins, and they were ready, and the, and the foolish as well. But I think the bride of Christ, and there's a lot of speculation on this, is made up of those who have been born again, and are not just members of scriptural New Testament churches, but faithful members. It's, it's, there's quite a criteria. It's, a, I think, a pretty exclusive club, if you want to call it that. And in Revelation 21 and verse 2, it says, And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. You say, it sounds like a city to me. No, Christ doesn't marry a city. Uh, we know that. The city is heaven. The bride is in the city. I think that's the, the thing we need to catch there. John said, I saw this holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I think this passage shows what a church will yet be, a glorious church. That's what it's called in verse 27, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church. And when I look ahead, I see this church standing before the Lord one day. And, and what kind of a church will we be as we stand before the Lord? You know, I've walked through the ruins of, of ancient Corinth a few years ago. It wasn't a real big town at that time, not geographically. There might have been a lot of people in it, but the ruins are not really that big. And so you can walk through it in a day, and, and you can imagine as you're walking around, I wonder if the church was here. I wonder if they met here. I wonder if they met there. I really don't know, but I know this. They don't meet anymore, do they? The church at Corinth is gone. It passed off the scene. We know the problems that it had. And we read in 2 Corinthians 11, in spite of that, in verse 2, Paul says, For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you, notice, as a chaste virgin to Christ. He said, I'm, I'm jealous over you. Is that wrong? No, he said, with a godly jealousy. You say, well, why? He tells us why. For I have engaged you or betrothed you or espoused you to one husband. He's talking to a local church. He said, I have plans for you. I have something in mind for you. He said, I want to present you as a chaste virgin to Jesus Christ. Will the Lord be able to do that with us here as we stand before the Lord one day? You know, I found this. I'm not sure where it came from. But it says, did he love his church with an active and operative love? With a real and sincere love? With an entire and undivided love? With a lasting and constant love? Notwithstanding all his church's weaknesses and failings? I say, yea, he did. And in all the millions from churches that shall stand or shall be gathered there out of every land and people and tongue and age. There should be no envy, 
malice, backbiting, pride, vanity, worldliness. There should be no annoying and vexing conflict in the heart with evil passions. Do you look forward to that? We should. I look forward to that. You know, can we actually try to achieve that now? That is the question. How much do we really love the church? We know Christ loved the church. You know, in Revelation chapter 2, I believe it is, Christ speaks to a church and he, he says, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. There has been a lot of speculation down through the years. Well, what's this first love that this church left? And, and you can say, well, it's Christ, it's this, it's souls, it's whatever. But you know, it could just be the church. You know, you can't see Christ. And I just know when I got saved, I, I was grateful, I loved the Lord. But I saw the people in the church. I could wrap my, my mind around that. I loved being there. I hated leaving there. It, it, was, it was where I wanted to be. The very first sermon I preached on December 13, 1981 was entitled, There's No People Like God's People. And I just bragged on the fact I had this new family and there's just nothing like it. But is it possible to leave that first love? It may be. Do we really love the church? You've got to notice these words in verse number 25 again. It says, even as Christ also loved the church. Even as Christ also loved the church. That's powerful, isn't it? How much is that? Even as Christ also loved the church. God help us to recognize what the church means to Christ and and may it in turn mean a lot to us. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Pulpit Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.